we are really grateful that we were able to have a hand in onboarding so many new people into Web3, but what happens next for them? How do we give them the best experience and educate people along the way and also serve as an example for DAOs in the future? We want them to continue being a part of the Web3 community, even if it is beyond Constitution DAO. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage-Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by two members of Constitution DAO, Nicole Ruiz and Anisha Sunkernani, as well as my husband, Jordan Greenberg, otherwise known as FinTech Bay on Twitter, if you want to follow him. <laughs> Um, I, I want to dive into this a little bit. So Jordan was following this very closely. I did towards the end. It all came together very quickly and whatnot too. So I guess, I don't know which one of you wants to take this, but essentially like how did this all come about and what was the, the impetus for it, I guess? Um, yeah, I, I guess I can get started and Nicole can jump in afterwards. It really was a whirlwind, I think, for everyone who is watching, but for us as well. There were a few different groups um, who all had the same idea, different friends in different corners of the internet that thought, hey, Sotheby's is putting up a copy of the Constitution for sale. How crazy would it be if we worked together and placed a bid on it? And that's exactly what we ended up doing. I personally got involved because the idea first came up in a group chat that I was part of with a whole bunch of my crypto friends. And we all ended up just thinking, you know, what if we hop on a Zoom call and reach out to some of the other people who have been like playing around with this idea that we've seen on our Twitter feeds? And it kind of just snowballed from from there. Nicole, how did you hear about it? Yeah, I similarly, uh, similarly heard about it through Twitter. I think I can't even remember what the timeline was at this point, but saw it come across my Twitter feed. And I think my first tweet was something along the lines of, this is insane. Why is anybody doing this? And very quickly, of course, someone who was already bought into it responded and was like, no, like this actually makes sense. It's a great use for a DAO. You know, this is one of 13 copies. The only one that at the time they thought was in private hands still. And I was like, wait, that is kind of interesting. So um, hopped in the discord and immediately was like, this could definitely consume my next week. I think it might. Um, so it was exciting. The crazy thing to me is that this literally all took place over the course of seven days. Like this isn't something that was, you know, a month, two months long drawn out. It, it was very rapid in its succession. Definitely. I think it worked well because of that. Like the, the very specific focus and the very specific timeline, it was almost sort of like a mini hackathon. Um, pretty intense, but it was a lot of fun. So how many people, so there's two that I have on here, but there's far more than just the two of you that were involved behind the scenes in this. How many people exactly were there and how did you kind of just decide to like, I don't know, divvy up roles or like spread the word? Like, how did that all work? Um, I think like we never had an official role count um, or head count. I think there might've been anywhere from like like in the in the 30 30ish ballpark range of core team members and as far as like divvying up the work i think like what was very surprising and amazing in a way was very quickly people kind of self-delegated 
to what their strengths were and what their network was and what they could kind of bring to the table. We had development team, you know, museum outreach, outreach to Wales, outreach to, you know, other sponsorships and influencers. And people kind of just like took on the roles where they saw the gaps that needed to be filled or brought in people to fill those gaps. And we were we were sprinting for that week. It was really intense. And I think everyone understood that we kind of just had to put our all in for the role that we kind of had um, and work towards it in that manner. Nicole, on your side of things, so was this the first time that you'd participated in anything crypto or have you been part of the crypto Web3 DeFi space for, for a little bit? Yeah, I would say sort of approximately. I've not been involved in, in a DAO like this before, but um, the firm that I work at invests in sort of crypto and Web3 and has for a while. So I've gotten exposure to that through there. And then also just having moved to New York recently, there's kind of been this boom and everybody is wants to spend a little bit of their time reading whatever white paper just came out or whatever. So also just through social circles, honestly, I've had, had some recent exposure. Anisha, what about you? Um, yeah, sort of similarly, I also work at a fund and my focus at our fund is actually Web3 and crypto. So I've kind of had my eyes on the space for a little bit now. And I'm, you know, from the social side of things as well, I'm in a number of like pretty active group chats that talk about crypto in their free time, which seems to be all of the time. Um, and so I think this is the first time that I was so deeply involved in a DAO from like day one and from like the ground up. And it was a very intense experience. But prior to Constitution DAO, I also have been involved in other DAOs in different ways. I actually think it's like pretty interesting um, just because over the past like two years, you know, we've seen such a rapid expansion and um, adoption of new technologies, people spending time on the internet. Um, and this year, like, especially we've just seen, you know, web three, crypto, NFTs, everything like take off and like DAOs are no exception. Um, it really seems like they just like burst onto the scene. And I think like the first way in which everyone truly, you know, became familiar with the concept was, was through you guys and your project. Um, and so I'd love like, just in like your, you know, opinion, uh, or through your words and through your experience, like what um, is like the true benefit of a DAO? Like, what did you learn about DAOs just through like your hands-on experience here? Um, and what do you, or where do you see them going? Like from here, I will. I guess I'll start out by saying like because the project was on such a dense timeline. Um, there was almost some like internal debate about whether or not like what what we're doing exactly that qualifies us as a DAO. Um, let's see, I could talk about this long for a long time. So my, my, the shortest part of my view is that like, I think a DAO is like a very relative term, much like AI has sort of become like relative to how decentralized and how autonomous organizations are already. And so, um, I think this was just like another interesting proof point in how you can set up something quickly in a decentralized, in a more decentralized fashion than fundraising often happens. Like the word spreads more quickly. People can see, um, what the smart contracts look like, like all of that is public. And so there's more uh, trust built up both by the the real life people that associate their names with the projects and then also all of this infrastructure that's on the blockchain. I think the real test would have been if we were to acquire the constitution and begin to, to vote, obviously. Um, but yeah, it was just super exciting to see how people can sort of band together to 
collectively own something and how that just like that simple vision is like very unifying to a massive group of people, even if they haven't dipped their toes into crypto before. I actually think that that's like a interesting point for another question, because I think a lot of people involved in Constitution DAO were actually like unclear as to whether they were going to own a piece of the Constitution that was being bought from a private seller or if they were going to be like involved in like the decision making process about where it was hosted and what its future looked like. I, I mean, just like from scrolling Twitter for hours, you know, you saw a mix of the two where people were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I'm going to be an owner of the Constitution. Like no one else in history has like had this opportunity versus like, OK, like fundamentally, that's not exactly correct. Um, and so I'd love to like, you know, kind of get a little feedback there. So you did see that um, on Twitter, you kind of saw both sides where it's like, do we actually own a piece of it? Or do we get a say in what happens to it? So it was more so the latter. um, And we tried to make that clear in our messaging that, you know, the DAO collectively would place a bid on it. And then, you know, if we won the auction, we would have had um, the, the copy of the Constitution. And then where the governance and stuff would come in and if people had you know purchased the token and they would then have a say in you know where the constitution might be shown or what we choose to do with it or who may be able to see it and the decisions that came from that would be done through some form of governance and i think kind of going back to what nicole said previously that would have been like the real test of Constitution DAO being a DAO with governance. And those would have been structures that we would have had to set up and really thoughtfully think about um, had we won the bid for the Constitution. And there already had been a lot of internal discussion about what that might look like. And among the core team, we had a lot of conversations about, you know, if we went in that direction, how do we best you know, set up governance. Um, But the reality is, like, the purpose of the DAO was kind of to place a bit on the Constitution. And after that, having not gotten the Constitution, um, we thought it was in everyone's best interest to, you know, wind things down. I would say even going further into that, there's kind of some interesting conversations that, you know, paralleled other governance conversations around, like, the U.S. Constitution, which was interesting to learn about. We ended up visiting... um, uh, Freedom Hall in New York, uh, which is where, you know, all this stuff operated for a while. But anyways, a lot of conversations as Anisha sort of referenced about like the literal voting structure. There's a lot of different interesting ways to do um, sort of how, how you allocate which people get how much of a vote. And as sort of whales came in and put in millions of dollars, the question became, do we want that person to have a rep- perfectly representative uh, ability to vote on the storage if they own over you know, a quarter of it somehow, if that were to happen at the last minute, what do we do about that? Do we want to use quadratic voting to make sure that it's like distantly representative, but maybe not perfectly? And, you know, this is a real life question that a lot of people come up against voting. And so um, it would have been interesting if we got to there. But I, it's it's interesting to watch um, DAOs deal with this broadly and Uniswap. I think one of the Uniswap grants recently um, did like a great study on on how people have solved some of these governance questions, like at scale and did a survey on some of like the voting tools people use and stuff, but definitely brought those to front view for us. And another thing to kind of add to that is at the time of like inception of Constitution DAO, 
Um, none of us who were like the core members actually held any of the people token in in terms of just like holding back a portion of it or holding back a percentage of it for governance purposes or whatever. Um, and that was another thing to think about um, because there are instances or other DAOs or collectives that choose to allocate a certain portion for the core team. And that was our decision not to. Um, but, you know, if governance did play out and we wanted to ensure that some of the core team had a voice in it, we would have had to think about how that might work or would we set up a proposal for the community to, you know, say, hey, should some of the core team be allocated a certain portion and how do we want to go about that? So basically there was a lot of discussion around governance even before um, before governance became, you know, a very real thing for Constitution now. But I think it was a great exercise in thinking about those things because broadly DAOs do need to think about those things and not every model of governance is meant to be structured the same exact way. Talk to me about the week leading up to this, like the process of like when you join, seeing all of this money coming in, actually having like a shitload of money to be able to bid on this thing, bidding on it, the discord going crazy. Like what was it like behind the scenes? Like, I, I remember Jordan watching the discord, watching the, the auction on TV, but I'm sure you just have, you know, so much extra insight from being on the core team for this. I think Nicole and I actually have different experiences, which um, we can talk about both. But I was in San Francisco at the time, and Nicole was actually on the ground in New York with a bunch of the other Constitution Now members in person while that auction was going down. Yeah, yeah. The day of the auction was pretty crazy. Um, it was definitely bittersweet. Uh, we went to see we went to see the copy of the Constitution the morning of at Sotheby's, um, and like we FaceTimed some members in and stuff. But it was definitely sad that you know it was like we're meeting some of these team members we've never met before, and yet a lot of them are missing. Um, ultimately, we ended up going and watching watching the bid itself uh, take place from um, like as many of the core team could get to New York came and watched it. And uh, I sat in the room with a person who was representing us from Endowment, which is the organization um, that represented us to Sotheby's, which is actually a, a it's a fairly common practice in the world art world to have a endowment that you, represents you for tax purposes and other things. Um, and so the guy who was bidding for us was obviously very nervous and that energy was all uh, pretty crazy to experience. But honestly, one of the things that made me sort of like most emotional as we set up the live stream of the Sotheby's auction, we had potentially the uh, option to take a few people in person to the Sotheby's auction, but felt like that wasn't really in the core uh, interest of the team because we wanted everybody there and sort of like family and friends and loved ones and people had supported us throughout that week. So we set up this live stream and we're all watching it um, as the time gets down and they're moving through other items that they have for sale. And before they even started the video stream of anything else, like so many people were flooding this live stream of comments being like, Constitution Dow, like <laughs> just like you just saw the comments like go wild. And it was super cool to see like everyone just kind of like suddenly very much visualized who was who was um really excited about this project i i wish i was there in new york i actually flew back two days before on tuesday with the auction being on thursday because even on tuesday i was like there's no way like we're gonna raise like that much money um but on my side of things i was actually on a group zoom call with a bunch of our friends like people who were part of constitution now but 
also a part of that original larger crypto group chat called Gas Station, um, who many of us are friends of, and they had all been very closely following the Constitution Down movement all week and kind of had been supporting us. So we had this like massive group call just watching the auction in real time um, with a bunch of the members of the team as well. And it was just so like it, it, it was such a big like community feeling to be like, hey, we're all like here to watch this together and we're all like supporting it and we also saw on like the live stream like the youtube like feed just like had like we're all gonna buy the constitution and like we're all gonna make it and it was just like flooding it like crazy and i just remember having a moment thinking like how like how hilarious is it that this is like a very formal sit down like sotheby's auction and we just have all our like crypto friends like just flooding this group chat like no other. Um, And it was also crazy because I was helping handle a lot of the press. So I had a couple of people um, on the press side of things who had like my direct number. And after the auction happened, my like phone was blowing up. And we personally on the internal team still did not know who was bidding on us. And it just felt like chaos. So you guys Um, didn't even know right away whether you had one or not? No, we did not not at that time um so it was like Nicole said like definitely bittersweet but it was also really really amazing to like have all the support from the community both like people that we personally knew but also the greater community who was just following along our story for the duration of the week so I actually have a question here um it's more of like a strategic question and uh, and future projects like this, uh, I think it could play like a big part because, you know, in being like very clear about how much money you had raised, we also kind of like exposed our war chest, right? And like for someone like Ken Griffin, you know, that is like all he needs to, you know, I don't know, feel that sense of like competition or like know that he can just like take us out of um, the running for it because, you know, we had a very finite amount of money. Uh, and then as soon as you started factoring in like taxes, um, the, uh, I don't know, insurance, like the handling of the constitution, like all these things like add up very quickly. Um, and I think that he knew that, you know, there was a number, there was a threshold that once you reached, it was over. For those um, that don't know, Ken Griffin is the one that actually ended up winning. So if you didn't follow the story, he is the <laughs> one that ended up outbidding them uh, at the end of things. And everyone was kind of like hanging on the edge of their seats to find out if, if we did win or not. Uh, and so, yeah, I think like looking back on it, um, is there anything that you all would have done differently, like strategically speaking, to maybe like give us a better chance to have actually uh, pulled it out in the end? Definitely. I think... Um, yeah, there's a bunch of things, like a billion things. I'm sure every person on the team would say we should have done differently. I think the biggest thing that like wasn't even represented externally well was that we did actually plan from, I think maybe Monday or Tuesday, like one of the first few days we started fundraising, we realized that like people who were making these bigger donations, whether it was from like a corporate investor side or crypto rich anonymous people, all that type of stuff, um, we intended to have them in sort of like anonymous wallets outside of the um, inside of the juice box. Um, and honestly, obviously, as one would expect in the last 24 hours, a lot of things sort of broke under pressure as you have this 30 person core team just 
managing external communications and external requirements, understandings with Sotheby's and all the other people we were working with. And we meant to have a, a few private wallets with cash put aside so that they wouldn't know our, our top number. Um, unfortunately, I think who was assigned to, to making sure money went into those wallets was kind of cast to the wayside and just ended up being that there was no money set aside. So that was 100% something that was avoidable, um, but we didn't manage to avoid. So kind of funny, to be honest. Um, but the other thing that I found really interesting as a side note is uh, Ken Griffin also got, so there's like this process that Sotheby's does to make sure somebody bids up an item if they're worried it's not going to get bidded, bidded for at all. And you have to sign up a bit in advance. Um, and you basically get insured that you will get some money of the bid that you put down. And even if you win, you get paid that money. And so I think for this bid, it was specifically like three million or so, relatively small portion of the auction. But you have to do it pretty far in advance. And Ken Griffin was that person. Um, and so he actually he, he planned to bid a while in advance, I think, even before he knew Constitution Dow was around um, and then obviously ended up making three million out of the amount that he put in which is uh, fascinating. None of us knew that that was part of Sotheby's auctions in general, but it was interesting to find out as a proof point that like he actually was interested quite far in advance despite his reputation for maybe not loving the crypto community broadly. Um, that was kind of fascinating. Yeah, I think, you know, after, right after it all went down, I mean, I was watching the live stream. It was so fun seeing, you know, Brooke and was it Michael, you know, placing the bids. It was so fun, like hopping in Twitter spaces, trying to figure out if we were team Brooke or team Michael. Right. Um, and it, it was really weird because there were like a few false alarms where people were getting texts from like apparent core members saying that we had won. And like, there was all this applause people were cracking open champagne and, pouring beer on themselves, um, you know, but then it became like quite clear, like a couple minutes later that, you know, in fact, that wasn't actually the case. Brooke had screwed us. Um, <laughs> Brooke whispered Ken Griffin. Yep. Um, and so like, where did that like fake news come from? Like were there actual like core members, uh, texting out like false hope? Did they think that we had won at first or was that just it pure fake like news? It sounds like it was just very confusing behind the I... scenes. Yeah, so to our knowledge, like there were no core team members. Um, we definitively, like, definitely did not have an official statement going out saying that we had won before knowing that we had actually not. Um, and I think even among the core team members, I don't think any one of us um, was trying to make a definitive statement like that because, as you just heard from our experience, we actually had a span of time that we did not know anything. And I think all of us on the core team were very hesitant to be like, hey, like, we don't actually know what's going on. We know that you're all looking at us because we're part of the core team. But we have just about as much as idea idea as you do about whether Brooke was bidding for us or not. And um, obviously, <laughs> with the power of the internet, um, things can get spread very, very rapidly. And I think there were a lot of people who are also very close friends with the core team who are not a part of the core team, um, many of whom were in the crypto community who could jump on Twitter spaces. And I think there was just so much excitement, but also chaos going on that night that it's hard to and best to not point fingers at any one person or any one space. Um, but there was some information that got out of hand quickly, but that we tried to correct as quickly as possible and put out an official statement once we did know. 
I think what happened was just that the the final bid was technically less than what you had raised because you have to take into account all the insurance costs and storage and whatnot. So people, given that the other person, what was it, Mike, stopped bidding, they assumed, oh, we must be Team Brooke, we must have won because the other person stopped, otherwise we would have kept going. I think that's my theory, but again, it, I don't think we'll ever know exactly how all of that started. Playing in a human psychology here, uh, maybe getting like a little right. philosophical. <laughs> Um, I, actually, I actually think his name was David, just to round that out. David, but. okay. <laughs> the, the person that was not Brooke that was bidding for us and not for Ken Griffin. Um, moving forward, though, it, you guys have probably learned more about DAOs than almost anyone else throughout this process. And we've talked about things that you would have done differently. What, what other applications do you think DAOs have in the future? Like, It's not every day that the Constitution goes on sale and you can get people to put money together to, to bid on it. So what are some applications that you see of them moving forward? Um, I think DAOs are just such a broad term. And like Nicole mentioned earlier, it's also a very relative term, what constitutes a DAO. But if you were to even very loosely think of a DAO as like a community that is decentralized or is trying to be decentralized um, and that has some shared vision and they may or may not have an associated shared bank account. There's a lot that can be done with that um, and not all of them need to be investing in something or placing a bid on something. Some of them might just be the equivalent of like fan clubs or interest groups or some might be much more structured and run almost in the form of a decentralized company. And they can range in size from, you know, five people to, you know, five million people. So I think when people say, what is the best use case for a DAO? That's a very, very vague blanket question. Um, and I don't think we know what the best use cases are and we're yet to find out. I think there are some really cool opportunities for DAOs to be used for crowdfunding or for investing. I think that there might be collector DAOs. There are very likely to be DAOs that are almost like hobby-based or interest group-based. And I do also think that there can be DAOs that might be very successful um, running almost in the form of like agencies, whether it's for media or for design or for engineering talent or in the form of companies themselves. Uh, what I do think that will be interesting seeing DAOs play out in the future is how they choose to structure things in a decentralized way. Because if you see DAOs right now, as much as DAOs stands for decentralized autonomous organizations, the extent to which they are decentralized varies a lot from DAO to DAO. And it's for like a variety of reasons, like among which might be just how much thought needs to really go into it, what is technologically possible for the size of the DAO, um, and also how much like financial investment goes into making it into a decentralized format. So that'll be interesting to see. I think we have a lot of work ahead of us, but there's a lot of potential for DAOs as well be a bit of a contrarian and say I, I actually almost had the opposite takeaway from Anisha which is like there are so many DAOs trying to tackle like every possible like human interest or problem or just like anything that an organization could do uh, but in a more decentralized way and I think this to me actually proved how much more by like 
orders of magnitude is a, a is a DAO effective when they have a very constrained problem set um, and a very constrained like governance issue. Um, yeah, I, I think it was interesting to see how much better it worked in that case where like we are still in the very early stages and having, um, yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of communication issues and governance challenges where I was like, do we need to vote on this? Should we not vote on this? Like, what have we promised? What have we not promised? Is everybody being clear on what we've promised from such a specific task? Like we still had so many of those issues. Um, and I think, yeah, collector DAOs broadly have already been proven out as quite interesting, but having very discrete units of tasks rather than maybe the more ambiguous social or, uh, interest DAOs, um, seem to me to be more of a, more of an imminent future for the space. I think just adding on to that, Nicole, I will, I will agree with you there. Um, I also think that there are a, there, there's a lot of hype about DAOs right now. Um, they're having their moment, so to speak, that I would argue that there are some things if if people who are creating the DAO to begin with um, can't define whatever problem space they're working on, as you sort of mentioned, Nicole, I think, you know, it might even be a reason to take a step back and evaluate whether or not it should be a DAO to begin with at all. Um, there was a time, I feel like last summer, where everyone and their mother was creating a new community because they thought that that was the best thing to do. And I feel like we're seeing that with DAOs. Um, I think that having a very defined purpose for any DAO that is created, be it for interest groups or for collector groups, um, but having a very clear structure in mind and purpose in mind is important. And that not everything needs to take the form of a DAO. I think, uh, you know, we've now talked about like the lead up, the actual bidding itself, but I'd also like to talk kind of about like the winding down of the DAO and also like where we are now. Um, I just looked up the value of the people token and it's crazy. I mean, the fully diluted market cap of people is now at like seven or $660 million, which is like pretty nuts for, you know, tokens that don't necessarily have any real value right now. So I'd love to like kind of uh, jump into your heads about like the decision to wind down the process, um, you know, why we didn't move forward and like why you think that the, you know, the native constitution DAO token people is trading through the roof right now and, and seemingly going to the moon. Yeah, let's see. I can I can say a few different things. Um, the token part is complicated, actually. I will say um, we didn't mean to actually have the token the token liquid. Um, that presented a lot of complications up until the uh, we didn't mean to have it liquid before the um, for the auction. And so we can say more on that in a second. But <laughs> I, I think that's an interesting part we haven't addressed a ton. Yeah, um, I think like. Basically, everything after the actual bidding and subsequent loss of the Constitution. like Yeah, you had all this money, like, all right, now we didn't win. What do we do with it? How do we get it back to people? Or, like, will people want it back? Do we bid on something else? Like, th there have to be a million thoughts going <laughs> through your head at this point. Yeah, definitely. I think the the first thing we wanted to order and we wanted to answer was just, like, what did we promise to do when we set out and how do we like carry out achieving that? Which is like 
did we buy the constitution? No. And so we feel that it's important to return people's money. People didn't opt into another project. And so there were conversations floated, which I think are reflected in the public announcements on our Twitter about continuing and trying to assess the team's uh, capacity to continue. But again, I think part of the reason we got the people that we did on our team and the reason it worked so well is because there's a lot of amazing product managers, social media managers, investors who had like full-time jobs and were doing this on top of all of that. And um, they're extraordinary, but, you know, couldn't continue at that capacity. And we all thought it would be a disservice to the project to um, try and continue to run it, but at like maybe a quarter, even if we were lucky of the sort of gas in the tank as we had before. And so assessing that honestly was the key way to make a decision moving forward. Um, And the other thing was like, there's this very complicated correlation between someone's real life reputation and people signing up for the project and it, and it giving the project credibility. And so we decided to publicly release who was on the multi-sig at the beginning. And that's something that not a lot of projects do. Some do, and it helps add to the credibility, but we thought that was important. And so even if say like five of the 30 or 10 of the 30 people decided to continue on, the project still holds a lot of the reputation of everybody who originally um, who originally was on the multi-sig or on the core team. And so the biggest thing was that, that it felt cleaner and more appropriate to like cut off since we had, we had tested out whether or not we could achieve our sort of core question and let people continue in separate entities if they wanted to. And also just like make sure the people who contributed had a clean experience. One out, one out of three wallets who, um, <clears throat> who contributed to Constitution DAO had not been used before. And so this truly was a lot of people's first exposure to crypto or first exposures to, to DAOs. And we really wanted to make sure if you're paying so little attention to what's going on, you have a clean experience, the money is returned to your wallet. If the gas sees like don't exceed the cost of your transition, just like the most honest, simple reading of what we set out to do and us, us doing that in a, in a way that was understandable to the majority of the people who... Who decided to contribute. I think adding on to that, um, something like Nicole mentioned this, but having that clearly defined, hey, these are the things that we're going to keep coming back to. Um, in our case, it was what did we really promise the community? What are our values and who are the people that are that we're serving with this project and moving forward? And that was what we used to kind of align ourselves and make our decisions because there were a lot of conversations and there were so many different ideas being thrown around. So many people wanted to have the money diverted to different, you know, causes. There was, it felt like the whole world's eyes on us. We had so many press requests coming in and we had so much going on all at once. So it was really, really important for us as a team to be aligned as we processed everything. And we're like, hey, okay, this was what we set out to do. And since that has been accomplished, we promised people their money back. So we need to get them their money back. We are really, really grateful that we were able to have a hand in onboarding so many new people into Web3. But what happens next for them right this if this was you know among or their very first experience we want them to continue being a part of the web3 community even if it is beyond constitution dow how do we give them the best experience and educate people along the way and also serve as an example for dows in the future 
whether it is for someone creating a new DAO or winding down an existing DAO, how can we do that in the most reasonable, fair, and respectable way for our team and everyone who has supported us, but also the greater community and the communities of the future DAOs? Um, so that was really what drove us. And there were a lot of nuanced conversations. Um, and also, as Nicole mentioned, I think part of the reason things were able to play out the way that they did, even with the core team's efforts, was because it was such a short time frame during which we were just like really sprinting. When when we said that we really needed to take a step back the night of the auction to get some sleep, it was because most of us had had very little sleep during the course of the week. I remember like waking up at like 4 or 5 a.m., like just, just checking Discord, but then like having so many messages to respond to or different like tasks to go and like set out and complete that like hours would pass by and it would be morning it was like okay well now I have to be awake um and many of us were juggling our regular day jobs so after the the week of the auction it became very clear that most of the core team as dear as this project was to us it wasn't going to be sustainable and um so I think it was just those core things that we came back to like what did we promise and what is fair to our community. And that's what sort of helped make our decisions as we did the week after. I know it was a little chaotic having to schedule this with the holidays and everything, but I really appreciate you two taking the time to join us. Um, if anyone listening wants to follow them on Twitter, they are nwilliams030, as well as you found Anisha. Um, and then obviously Jordan is at Fintech Bay and I am at Julie Verhage. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays, and I look forward to hearing more about DAOs in general in 2022. Thank you guys for having us. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having us on.